Welcome back to another episode of the Tremors podcast. It's a small project I um, have been working on for the last year. Um, my name is Abby Hedmark. I am a lifelong practitioner of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Pancharatric Yoga. Um, a lot of the other podcasts have been conversations I've had with uh, different other aspiring yogis and Vaishnavs and it's been a little difficult for us to get together and sit down <clears throat> and continue those kind of conversations. Um, we'll probably keep doing that more in the future but for now I figured I could just keep doing these short solo discussions. Um, the last podcast I did was on the Atma Bodha Upanishad and it gave us a little bit of a, a dialogue or darshan or vision of what the transcendental self experience is like. Um, today I'm looking at another Upanishad. It's called the Atma Upanishad. It's of the Atarva Veda. And it also deals with the same subject matter. Now. A lot of people in the Gaudiya Vaishnav community might be kind of wondering why I'm focusing on these these particular texts and not, say, Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam or Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, and I have a really specific reason why I'm focusing on these in these podcasts instead of those. And that is that growing up in the Vaishnava community, um, there wasn't really a lot of discussion past the idea of being a spirit soul in regards to the self. And you see a lot of people get caught up in various kinds of debates about um, the soul in terms of Jiva Tattva and the, you know, the, the conversation about whether or not the jivas come from the spiritual world or from the Tatashta or from, you know, Mahavishnu. There's all these different theories that are out there that everyone claims their own theory to be the authoritative theory. And I never really felt like anybody on either side of the debate was kind of talking from a place of experience but just a place of textual knowledge 
and my mentors and my teachers kind of when I first started learning yoga and sadhana according to pancharatric systems rather than Bhagavad systems I, I didn't I didn't personally feel like I was really getting anywhere experientially by by just going the typical ISKCON or Gaudiamat systems I, I felt there was something lacking I felt like I didn't I wasn't connecting to it and I wanted to understand why I didn't think it was wrong I just thought maybe I was missing something and so my mentor first thing that he kind of started stressing was to understand the self and understanding that understanding the self from more angles than just one in terms of uh, Jiva Shakti and when I really focused in on this particular branch of knowledge which Krishna calls Adhyatma Vidya or yeah Adhyatma in Bhagavad Gita things started to make a lot more sense and after you know putting it into practice and applying applying the knowledge in, in various sadhanas then then I came to a place where I couldn't really see it any other way and these Upanishads they kinda they kinda shed a light on they shed a light on this particular aspect of reality we call Adhyatma um, those who are on a more those who are more fixed in and satisfied in their bhakti sadhana they probably won't really care too much to listen to this but for you guys out there who are feeling like maybe you're just going through the motions you're not connecting so much you don't feel like you're developing in your devotional practice and you don't really understand why maybe you're a little intellectual maybe you're looking for some kind of light bulb moment I really do feel like um, maybe this kind of knowledge is really actually important and I I suggest paying attention to certain statements Srila Prabhupada made about Bhakti Yoga and how he explains that Bhakti Yoga is actually for liberated persons. Bhakti and, and Prem, Prem Sadhana is actually how a liberated person engages with the transcendental reality in life. It's not, it's not exactly the means to becoming liberated. Although, you have to understand that if you're in bhakti sadhana properly, you're automatically liberated. But you have to be real for, with where you're at. You can't fool yourself. You have to be real. And so, when I was growing up, I realized that I was probably more suited to trying to apply karma yoga, trying to apply yoga, trying to apply jnana, knowing that they were going to help me assist me leading to getting to bhakti um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna read about this I'm gonna read this Upanishad um, and then 
talk about it a little bit. So it's Atma Upanishad, and it's spoken by Angira. He's a rishi, um, one of the major rishis. Uh, obviously, a self-realized personality. Um, so he says, the spirit manifests itself in three ways: the self, the inner self, and the supreme self. There are the organs, the skin, inner and outer, flesh, hair, the thumb, the fingers, the backbone, the nails, ankles, the stomach, navel, the genitals, the hips, the thighs, the cheeks, the ears, the brows, the forehead, the hand, the flanks, the head, the eyes. These are born and these die, so they constitute the self. So this layer of the self uh, is the body, obviously. So this is Deha. Next is the inner self, indicated by the elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, desire, aversion, pleasure, pain, desire, delusion, doubts, memory, marked by the high pitch and ascentlessness, so there's vowels, short, long, prolate, the hearer, smeller, taster, the leader, agent, the self of knowledge vis-a-vis -vis, uh, stumbling, shouting, enjoying, dancing, singing, playing on musical instruments, he is the ancient spirit that distinguishes between Nyaya, Mimamsa, and constitutes of law, the specific objects of listening, smelling, grasping. He is the inner self. So that's sort of like uh, the, that's the Lingadeha, that's the subtle body. Um, anybody who has done any kind of astral traveling, that's the body you use when you astral project. Uh, the next is the Supreme Self, the imperishable. He is to be meditated on with the help of yogic steps, breath control, withdrawal, fixation of mind, contemplation and concentration. He is to be inferred by the thinkers on the self as like unto the seed of the banyan tree or a grain of millet or a hundredth part the split of a hair. Thus, he is one and not known. He is not born, does not die, does not dry, is not wet, does not burn, does not tremble, is not split, does not sweat. He is beyond the gunas, is a spectator, is pure, partless, alone, subtle, owing not, blemishless, immutable, devoid of sound. He is devoid of sound, touch, color, taste, smell, is indubitable, non-grasping, omnipresent. He is unthinkable and invisible. He purifies the impure and is the unhallowed. He acts not. He is not subject to empirical existence. The good name, the Atman, is pure, one, and always and non-dual always, in the form of Brahman. Brahman alone shines forth. Even as the world with its distinctions like affirmation, negation, Brahman alone shine forth. With distinctions like teacher and disciple, Brahman alone appears. From the point of view of truth, pure Brahman alone is. Neither knowledge nor ignorance, neither the world nor aught else is there. What sets empirical life afoot is the appearance of the world as real. What winds up empirical life is its appearance as unreal. What discipline is required to know, this is a pot except the adequacy of means of right knowledge. Once it is given, the knowledge of the object supervenes. The ever-present self shines 
when the means of its cognition is present. Neither place, nor time, nor purity is required. The knowledge, I am Devadatta, depends on nothing else. Similarly, the knowledge, I am Brahman, of the knower of Brahman, is independent, just as the whole world by the sun, by the splendor of knowledge of Brahman, everything is illuminated. What can illumine the non-existent and illusory non-self? That which endows the Vedas, Sastras, Puranas, and other beings with import, that knower, what will that knower, what will illumine? The child ignores hunger and bodily pain and plays with things. In the same way, the happy Brahman knower delights in himself without a sense of mine and I. Thus, the silent sage, alive and alone, the embodiment of desirelessness, treats the objects of desire. Existing as the self of all, he is ever content abiding in his self. Free from all wealth, he always rejoices. Though companionless, he is mighty. Though not e eating, he is ever content. Peerless, he looks all on all alike. Though acting, he does nothing. Though partaking of fruit, he yet he is no experiencer thereof. Living in the body, he is still disembodied. Though determinate, he is omnipresent. Never is this Brahman knower disembodied and ever existent, affected by the pleasant and unpleasant or by the good and evil. Because it appears to be encompassed by Rahu, the darkness, the unencompassed sun is said to be encompassed by deluded men, not knowing the truth. Similarly, deluded folk behold the best of Brahman knowers, liberated from the bondage of the body as though he is embodied, since he appears to have a body. The body of a liberated one remains like the shed slow of the snake. Moved a little hither and thither by the vital breath, that body is borne like a piece of timber up and down by the flood waters. By fate is the body born into contexts of experience at appropriate times. On the contrary, he who, giving up all migrations, both knowledge and un unknowledge, stays as pure unqualified self, is himself the manifestation of Shiva. He is the best of all Brahman knowers. In life itself, the foremost Brahman knower is ever free. He has accomplished his ends. All adjuncts having perished, being Brahman, he is assimilated to the non-dual Brahman, like a man who, with appropriate perils, is an actor and without them resumes his natural state. In the same way, the best of Brahman knowers is always Brahman alone and none else. Just as space becomes space itself when the enclosing pot perishes, so when the particular cognitions are dissolved, the Brahman-knower himself becomes nothing but Brahman, as milk poured into milk, oil into oil, and water into water. Just as combined they become one, so the Atman-knowing sage is in the Atman. The disembodied liberation is the infinite status of being. Having won the status of Brahman, no longer is the yogi reborn, for his ignorance-born bodies have all been consumed by the experiential knowledge of being as the self. Because that yogin has become Brahman, how can Brahman be reborn? Bondage and liberation set up by Maya are not real in themselves in relation to the self, just as the appearance and disappearance of the snake are not in relations to stirless rope. Bondage and liberation may be described as real and unreal and as due to the nescience, concealment of truth. Brahman suffers from no concealment whatsoever. It is uncovered there, being nothing other than it. The ideas, it is and it is not, as regarding re regards to reality, are only ideas in the intellect. They do not pertain to the eternal reality. So bondage and liberation are set up by Maya and do not pertain to the self. 
in the supreme truth as in the sky, impartate, inactive, crescent, flawless, unstained, and non-dual, where is the room for mental construction? Neither suppression nor generation, neither the bond nor striving, neither the liberty seeking nor liberated. This is the metaphysical truth. So, for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, I try to give a, I'll try to un, like help people understand that although this particular Upanishad is an Advaitic Upanishad, so the darshan it's giving is that of Advaita. It's not giving, it's not giving a perception that says that the individual self and the supreme self are different. It's explaining how they're the same. Now, Gaudiya Vaishnav Siddhanta is that we are qualitatively the same. This is really important because if you don't understand qualitative sameness, then you will throw out this as quantitative sameness and discard it and call it Mayavad. When Mahaprabhu's instruction was that everything in all the Sastras is truth and that when we analyze all of the Sastras together, we can form the Siddhanta. So some of the Upanishads are giving a Darshan that is Dvaita or that there's a difference between the individual and the Supreme and some are giving the darshan that there is no difference between the individual and the supreme and others are giving a darshan which is mixed which shows at first difference and then oneness so also the 108 upanishads can be broken down to having three varieties in terms of their vad or vision and so some of them are Brahmavad, means they will show oneness. Some are Paramatmavad, means they will show difference. And then some are Bhagavanvad, means they will show oneness and difference. So because we exist and live on this platform, constantly immersed in difference, adding more a sense of difference isn't fully helpful in the initial stage because it creates more fear for an unliberated person. It creates more anxiety for the unliberated person. It creates more sense of guilt and shame and attachment to the concepts of the results of the actions of your body. So the Rishis taught us to identify the true self, the spirit, the soul, as being the same as the supreme. This is called Jnana Yoga. And the typical mantra that a Jnana Yoga sadhaka will recite is Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, or Hamsa or tatvamasi, which means there's a conversation, he says, Swatiketu, you are that. After having described Brahman, he says, my dear disciple, that is who you are. Now, 
when you realize yourself different from the body, different from the mind, different from the constructs of your current personality, what ensues is the dawning of truth, the dawning of Atmavidya. It requires the renunciation and attach detachment from that identification. In Gaudiya Sampradaya, we see that one particular character is teaching that truth and another is experiencing that truth. So in the Panchatattva, Advaita Charya is well known for being able to expound the Maharamayana or Yoga Vashishta, which is a really, really big text written by Valmiki um, about a discourse between Ram and Vashishta, all about Adhyatma Vidya. And Advaita Charya was known for being able to expound that text in light of Bhakti, which was considered really difficult because it is a very Advaitic text. And when you read it, you think, oh, what it's suggesting is that we're all God. And so how can, how can there be any meaning to God serving God? So what's the meaning of love? Then if everything is just the self, then there's only one. And there's no, there's no real ultimate meaning to love and prema. And so Gaudiya Vaishnavas don't delve too deeply into the subject matter. But Advaita Acharya was so clever that he was able to explain the deeper meanings behind that science so that bhakti was revealed. And the one who is experiencing and relishing that knowledge is Nityananda. So Nityananda means to relish eternality, the bliss of eternality. So that refers to when we become aware that we're eternal, immortal, all-pervading, boundless, joyful, uh, cognizance, life, life itself, which cannot, cannot be affected by the apparent trials and tribulations on the mundane platform. And so when that knowledge manifests and awakens in Asadaka's heart, then he will figure that there must be something to occupy his time for eternity because he knows past, present, future. He knows this never ends. He knows life goes on and on and on. And then he turns towards that self, which is his own self, and he understands that he must, to, 
to be happy, he must serve that self. And he develops a relationship with that self. This occurs when the yogi is coming back down to the out of samadhi, when the jivatma and the paramatma are mixed together, and he comes back down, and he understands that that self that he experienced, that gave him all that bliss, that is paramatma. And although he's one in quality, he's still humble before that self. So, in the Yoga Vashishta, Vashishta teaches Ram this science. And then when Ram goes into Samadhi, Vashishta explains to the assembly present that they are all watching. They, the, the personality that they think is learning right now is in fact the supreme paramatma in a play of self-discovery and everybody bows down to ram at that time and vashishta establishes and reveals that ram is everybody's self manifested in human form so what's so beautiful about this knowledge is that you realize serving Krishna or serving your Ishtadeva, whether you have your Ishtadeva in the form of Ram or Krishna or Narsinga, that service to that Supreme Self is what gives you, your own self, ultimate satisfaction. Without realizing the connection between yourself and him, there's a disconnect. There's a sense that you're serving this other personality, you're giving him so much. And for some, they might feel, what am I getting back? And so this relationship of, of being one and different of him being your heart, of him being your life air, your, your soul, your, your core, your essence, your source. It helps us understand how we can achieve satisfaction. So we turn towards satisfying him. We turn towards service to him. And when we come firmly fixed, in this relationship, we immediately feel that when we perform some service to Krishna and that we can feel that he is satisfied, we become satisfied. When we feel that he is happy, we become happy. We, when we feel that he is in ecstasy, we become ecstatic. So, it's important for you to understand and become comfortable with relinquishing the idea that you are separate from Krishna. 
that you are the body, that you are the mind, that you are your hopes and dreams, that you are your desires, that you are your good actions or your bad actions, that you are your past, that you are your future. Let all that go and sit in the stillness that's inside your heart and learn to accept that as your true self. If you do that, then you can taste Nityananda. If you taste Nityananda, if you experience Nityananda and learn to serve Nityananda through Advaita, then the chances of you performing unmotivated, unselfish, unmixed devotional service to your Ishtadeva is possible because you are already satisfied. You don't want anything from Krishna. If you worship Krishna and you want something from him, then it is not actual genuine bhakti. You say, oh Krishna, I'll worship you, I'll worship you so that one day I can have moksha. You're cheating. You don't want Krishna. You want relief or you say oh Krishna I'll serve you I'll do these pujas and everything so that I become wealthy it's cheating it's misuse it's misunderstanding because you don't want actually to satisfy Krishna because Krishna is only satisfied by prema just like human beings really only find satisfaction through love. And love must be directed to the core, to the true self, in order for it to really be love. So This, this, kind of, this kind of knowledge really, really enlivened my life, it helped me through, helped me understand so much, it helped me really let go of, of many types of hang-ups and guilt and shame and fear and anger. And obviously, as a sadhaka, these things still arise because when we associate with maya, we automatically, we, it's like taking a bath and then covering yourself in dirt again. So these things still creep up, but by utilizing this knowledge and utilizing this self-dialogue, this self-inquiry, it's really, really easy to come back into yourself, to come back into the correct perspective and, and to wake up again and again and again. My personal opinion is that as you progress, 
you 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 enter that space and learn to become familiar with it and you fall and then you go again and you learn to be you get better at going in and out but because I know that I have so many karmas I have so many different things that I have to undergo that uh, just because I attain that state just because I know how to go to that state doesn't make me liberated it doesn't make me better than anybody else because I come back down to my bullshit I come back down to my humanness and I suffer but what that teaches me is I become I become more able to recognize that the the Maya the Maya sphere creates suffering and the self sphere relieves suffering. So we have the black and white. The word guru. The word guru, the teacher, the master, the spiritual master, guru. He the word gu means bl black darkness ignorance and the word ru means light uh, fire burning enlightened so guru is both showing both you know there's a really important verse in the Ishopanishad it says vidyam cha vidyam which he, the, the whole verse talks about how the transcendentalist or the, the yogi on the path must study both avidya and vidya simultaneously. So knowledge and ignorance have to be understood simultaneously until one becomes firmly on the path of knowledge. And by meditating on these concepts, we begin to see a unity. We begin to see this unity between our mundane existence and our spiritual existence and we start to blur the lines we start to blur the difference and so that even when we come into suffering even when we fall down into our bullshit that's okay that is okay because we always have the knowledge that krishna is right there within that krishna is there as the source and that we learn the processes to return whenever we choose. So it becomes closer and closer and closer. And the means of firmly establishing this, so important to keep practicing bhakti. Even if you start veering into learning yoga, if you start veering into learning jnana or tantra or or Tao, or whatever other side interests people, devotees I've met always seem to have side interests. But it's really important to keep practicing bhakti, keep developing the loving relationship between you and Krishna, or you and your Ishtadeva, whoever you may be, whether it's Narayan, whether it's Ram, whether it's Krishna. Even some people, some people feel affinity and affection and closeness with Shiva, who is the Shantaras Paramatma? He is, he he is the especially Sadashiva. He is the supreme personality of Godhead in Shantaras. What that means is essentially he's the personality of Samadhi. So, without understanding Shiva Tattva, 
It's very hard to get to Goloka. It's very because if you look, if you look at the Golok Mandala, it's guarded by the uh, the Dameshwars, the protectors, and there are various forms of Shiva. And if you don't know how to go past, go through them, go through the light of Samadhi into the heart of love, you won't, you won't be able to penetrate into Goloka. Because you'll have so many conceptions, so many mental fabrications, so many impositions, so many, so many mental concoctions based on the fact that we learn through language, we learn through fixed words, we learn through fixed concepts. That's how the ego binds things, that's how the ego makes things definite. But they're not. The, the transcendental reality is fluid. It's, it is, uh, it is constantly expanding. It is not just Goloka, it's Goloka and Vaikuntha and Kailash and, and, and Ayodhya and Dwarka and Jagannath Puri all at the same time. So he's simultaneously Krishna and he's Ram and he's, and he's Parsharam and he's Kalki and he's Buddha Avatar and he's Shiva Avatar and he's Shakti Tattva. He's all these different things all at the same time. And Krishna, Krishna is the, the fountain. Krishna is the source. Krishna is the absorbing of all those things into himself. All those things are simultaneously present in Krishna. So if you try to define him, if you try to fix, he's Chanchala, he's constantly moving. He's constantly, he has no ego. He has no, that's why he can have the world and give it away. He has no ego. Krishna has no ego, but he has his transcendental personality. It's, it's quite mind-boggling when you try to wrap your head around just how complex Krishna really is. Um, it's a very beautiful subject matter. Um, please comment, please share. Please meditate on yourself. Please start recognizing that you do not have to buy into all the bullshit that you tell yourself about why you're not good enough to serve Krishna, why you're not good enough to get Nam, why you're not good enough, why you're so offensive. That's, that's your own limitating factors. That's what you put on yourself. This is what you do to yourself. It's nobody else's fault that you, you, you do these things. It's you. It's what you believe. If you pay attention to the anarthas that Bhaktivinoda Thakur describes in, in Harinam Chintamani, the very first one is ignorance about the truth of oneself. And if you can hand, if you can tackle that, if you can go straight to that and tackle that, you pull the pin that that immediately evaporates all the others. All the other anarthas vanish as soon as you you establish that you're not the body mind and all the activities related to those two faculties. You're not the th those things. You are, according to Chaitanya Charitamrita, you are Nitya Krishna Das, the eternal servant of Krishna, who is the Param Atma, the Supreme Self. Your Supreme Self, your Supreme Soul, your core, yourself. That's who you are always in relation to. 
And so, we have to become more and more willing to let go and abide in that truth. By chanting the names of Advaita Acharya and Nityananda repeatedly, charging, meditating on those two truths, Advaita Acharya and Nityananda, gradually you'll understand Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. That means Krishna is Chaitanya, your consciousness is Krishna. Your being at the very core, the very root is Krishna. Then you can understand Gadadhara, which is the ecstatic bliss of Prema. Because Gadadhara is Srimati Radharani. She is, she is Prema Tattva. She is the service and the interactions with Krishna that result automatically in full ecstasy, full bliss, full, full immersion. This is a this is a bhava sadhana, bhava samadhi. It's higher than nirvikalpa samadhi, higher than savikalpa samadhi. It's uh, the another term that gets used. It's not so popular. Is sahaja samadhi, the natural, spontaneous. It's like raganuga. Sahaja Samadhi, Shuddha Sahaja Samadhi, not Prakrita Sahaja. There's a difference. That is a natural inclination of our soul, is to experience that bliss. And we have covered that through delusion and self-dialogue that hides that. This is our prison we create for ourselves. We have to come to the state of Vasudev and Devaki Although we are in Durga, in the prison house of the material world, when we become just like Vasudev and Devaki, which means pure consciousness and saintly behavior, we can give rise, give birth to Krishna within our heart. Very important that the, the travel that Vasudev takes to bring Krishna from the prison house to Goloka is sheltered by Ananta. Ananta carries, Ananta covers like an umbrella Vasudeva and Krishna as they make their way into Goloka. So that shows the importance of not only taking shelter of Guru along the path, but of taking shelter of Nityananda Ram, taking shelter of Balaram, taking shelter of Ananta, infinity, this knowledge, this knowledge of the self, this is so important, this is so important. If you don't, if you don't start to accept yourself, love yourself, be yourself, be honest to yourself, be truthful to yourself, be kind to yourself, then you're actually constantly fighting Krishna, making offenses, pushing him away. Very important. And if you finally come to understand Garadhar and this love, this prema, then you live in Srivas. You live in the assemblage of others 
Shiva's Adi Gaurabhakta Vrinda, the infinite, infinite, opulent, beautiful assembly of similar spiritual sparks, just like you who are eager, ever eager to relish and serve the Supreme. This is very, very deep. Panchatattva is very deep. The Panchatattva is as Panchatatmakam, the five tattvas of the self. It's a very deep thing. So we have to systematically approach Advaita, Nityananda, Goranga, Garadhar, Srivas through Guru, the instructions of Guru, through Nam Sadhana, the recitation of Nam, through Mantra, through Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. There's many, many varieties of practices that can help us attain the state of Advaita or the association of Advaita Acharya, which will help us attain the association of Lord Nityananda. So, to conclude here, please love yourself, be yourself, be happy in yourself, be kind to yourself. That is Jai Nitai, that is rejoicing in oneself. Haribo, 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 Jai Nitai, Jai Nitai, Jai Nitai. Let go of your bro bullshit. Stop believing it, stop eating it. You're eating your own vomit. <laughs> You're eating your own vomit. So stop. It is so simple. It is so simple. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit of a rant. A little bit longer than I had intended originally. But sometimes when I get into it, I just get into it. Um, let me know what you think. Give me some comments. Give me some feedbacks. Argue with me. If you think I'm wrong, tell me. I don't mind. Jai Nitai.